what I'm going to do is to sort of turn my remarks into a brief introduction for who's the real star of this panel, natural gas and, and a natural gas abundance from the point of view of U.S. manufacturing, and particularly on the phenomenon that become to be identified as American uh, manufacturing reshoring of the return of American manufacturing and industrial companies to the United States uh, as a means by which they are able to lower costs, uh, secure themselves against, let's say, political risk, particularly in dealing with uh, having large manufacturing uh, capacity in countries whose political futures may at times seem rather precarious, uh, but also in, as well as access to skilled labor, uh, as particularly as manufacturing becomes more sophisticated and, and as things such as 3D manufacturing and additive manufacturing now become more and more a feasible part of the industrial process. But also, of course, the issue of natural gas abundance from the point of view of U.S manufacturing, and particularly on the phenomenon that become to be identified as American uh, manufacturing reshoring of the return of American manufacturing and industrial companies to the United States uh, as a means by which they are able to lower costs, uh, secure themselves against, let's say, political risk, particularly in dealing with uh, having large manufacturing uh, capacity in countries whose political futures may at times seem rather uh, precarious, uh, but also in, as well as access to skilled labor, uh, as particularly as manufacturing becomes more sophisticated and, and as things such as 3D manufacturing and additive manufacturing now become more and more a feasible part of the industrial process. But also, of course, the issue of energy costs and of feedstock costs. And just to give you some idea about where this whole direction is headed, I'd like to read to you a, a paragraph from a recent MIT technology uh, review article called Shale Gas Will Fuel a U.S. Manufacturing Boom. Here's the quotation. The plummeting price of natural gas which can be used to make a vast number of products, including tires, carpet, antifreeze, lubricants, cloth, and many types of plastic, is luring key industries to the United States. Just five years ago, natural gas prices were so high that some chemical manufacturers were shutting down U.S. operations. Now the ability to access natural gas trapped in shale rock formations has lowered American prices to a fraction of those in other countries. The man that I wanted to come tell us about this aspect, precisely this aspect of the reshoring of manufacturing, particularly in the chemical industry, is Owen Keene. Owen is a senior director at the American Chemistry Council and responsible for energy and climate policy on behalf of the chemical industry. Owen joined ACC in 1989 and has served in a number of communications, information technology, policy positions. And he's been managing ACC's energy policy portfolio since 2006. It's with great pleasure and great honor to have Owen Cohen, Cohen, Owen Keene with us today.
you want to use the podium? Yeah, I'll use it. Okay. You may move me phone, too. There we go. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I just want to start by uh, echoing some things Arthur said. Natural gas is fundamental to the chemical industry, and the chemical industry is fundamental to American manufacturing. Uh, we're an $800 billion enterprise, and nearly 96% of all U.S. manufactured goods are touched by the products of chemistry. Um, Arthur went through the litany of products that um, are, are produced from uh, uh, at, our, at our many chemical facilities, um, and natural gas plays a large role in, in the production of all of those products and many more. Uh, we use natural gas, uh, unlike most other industries, in that it is, while our main source of heat and power, it is also our primary feedstock. Uh, natural gas, along with the natural gas liquids that are produced in conjunction with gas, including ethane and propane. So for us, nearly 75% of the cost of producing many uh, chemical products are, uh, are, are related to the cost of gas and, and the gas liquids. So. Uh, uh, today, I'd like to sort of touch on uh, the pivotal role that uh, natural gas in the United States plays in uh, shaping the competitiveness of the U.S. chemical industry in, in global markets. Um, am I going the wrong way here? Oops. So I'm going to be able to hustle through... Uh, these next couple slides, because Victoria did a fine job of uh, touching on all of these things. But uh, this this uh, particular graph I have framed, and it's on my bedstand. Um, it uh, it shows the uh, explosive growth of um, uh, natural gas production from the shale formations, the major shale formations around the United States. Uh, as Victoria alluded. Uh, Shale gas production in the United States was just sort of a blip on the screen several years ago. Today, it's fully accounting for fully half of uh, all the natural gas produced in the United States. Um, Victoria showed a slide that shows that through EIA's uh, 2040 forecasting period, natural gas is going to continue to uh, to grow, and uh, the shale gas is going to be the sort of dominant source of gas in this country for many years to come. Um, you know, looking just just to, to touch a little bit more on the on the on the green slide that that's the Marcellus. Um, you know that uh, in 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 a few short years, uh, the Marcellus has gone from virtually non-existent to producing twenty percent of the gas in the United States. Uh, it's it's just an extraordinary uh, achievement and. Um, uh, the experts at EIA and IEA and Woodward and, and Wood McKenzie and many other forecasting units are saying that we aren't even close to the top of the production curve here. And so the, the point I, I, I want to make here is that I have talked to many uh, global chemical companies in recent years who've come over here to sort of investigate the shale gas phenomenon, kick the tires, and to see how real it is. And when they... Um, when they do their due diligence and go back home and and decide where they want to site their next incremental investment in chemical manufacturing capacity, they more often than not uh, decide that they want to uh, that they're going to build their next billion dollar project here in the United States. 
Uh, I am just backwards here. Huh? Uh, Victoria showed this as well. This is uh, the, 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 the second piece of proof of that, that companies are looking at. Uh, uh, there has been just a tremendous uh, uh, reduction in, in, in natural gas prices uh, due to that explosion in production. Uh, you can also look at inventory levels in the United States, and I think EIA recently reported that uh, uh, natural gas and storage is at record levels. And that, um, so there, you know, the, there, there is no question about the, the supply uh, outlook. Uh, and uh, not only is, is natural gas prices have, um, are, are well below our nearest global competitors, but if you look at the future strip, uh, natural gas prices are expected to remain at very competitive levels for many years to come. Uh, and so chemical companies are looking at that combination of a robust supply picture and a, uh, a price environment that's the envy of the world, and they are um, flocking to the United States to uh, invest in, 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 new, in new capacity. Um, our economists... Get this sucker right. So our economists have been... Um, tracking uh, investment in new chemical manufacturing capacity for several years now. And um, uh, this, this is a, uh, depicts their most recent um, uh, projections that uh, were, were completed just a few days ago. Uh, they, have, uh, they are forecasting that there are now 264 chemical industry projects have been announced with a cumulative investment value of $164 billion. Um, Forty percent of that total is completed or under construction. Uh, Fifty-five percent is in the planning phase. And of that $164 billion, 61 percent is coming from foreign direct investment. It's not just reshoring. It's, it's a, uh, yeah, I, 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 I call it the, if you can't beat them, join them phenomenon. Uh, our, our, our analysts also uh, uh, point that uh, this new investment will, will result in um, upwards of $105 billion in new chemical industry output by 2023 and a total economic impact of over $300 billion. So this is, um, you know, we're growing the pie here. We're not um, redistributing the pie, but we're actually expanding the pie. This is, this is um, pretty epic stuff. Uh, in, in our industry. Um, much of the new investment is geared toward export markets for chemistry and plastic products. Uh, we did a study last year uh, that showed, that projects chemical exports uh, doubling from 60 billion in 2014 to 123 billion by 2030. Um, so a lot of this investment is being built with, the, with export markets in mind which is great news for our trade balance and, and great news for employment in the United States. So um, uh, David uh, harked on uh, some things that, you know, what, what could burst this bubble uh, or balloon? And um, I think there are several things that, that we're mindful of. Um, one is, is, is growing opposition to any oil and gas production. Uh, and um, and, and other um, 
uh, infrastructure projects. You know, just this sort of rapid decarbonization uh, movement and um, a, uh, an, an effort to uh, move off of fossil fuels in its entirety. So we, we pay close attention to that. Uh, we're seeing it both in, in um, uh, we're seeing it manifest itself both uh, in, uh, on, the, on the production side, the access to production. Uh, the administration has been backtracking in the last couple of years on, its, on, on, on opening new access to new oil and gas fields, both onshore and offshore. Uh, we're seeing a lot of opposition to uh, infrastructure projects, um, notably in New England, but in other parts of the country as well. So you know those are those are the big red flags uh, out on the horizon, um, and and I'll I'll finish up by just saying that uh, we're a policy organization at American Chemistry Council, and so we advocate policies that um, avoid unreasonable restrictions on on access to oil and gas reserves on 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 public lands, and uh, we also favor keeping oversight of. Uh, uh, shale gas production on in, on private lands in the hands of the states. Uh, we have supported policies to expedite the construction and permitting of uh, pipeline and other infrastructure, and we're also working to ensure a timely, transparent, and efficient regulatory permitting process for shale-related manufacturing projects. So that you know a, a big part of these multi-billion-dollar investments that we are that that companies are making is that they want some certainty and some transparency that when they go through the permitting process that they're going to get their construction permits in a timely fashion so that they can schedule the um, engineering and construction work and uh, meet their deadlines for uh, bringing new capacity online. So either with that, I just want to thank you for uh, inviting me to share our uh, perspective on the vital link between natural gas and chemical manufacturing in the United States. Thank you. I'm, um, I'm going to exercise my prerogative one last time um, in asking the first question, yeah. if I can. And that is, um, do you want to sit on the stage? Why don't we do that? And then we can just, uh, that might be easier. <clears throat> Let's, I wanted, wanted you to get a feeling from you and ACC on the issue of jobs. As you probably know, some of the, I won't call them critics, but some of the sort of qualifiers of the phenomenon of reshoring have stressed that a lot of these jobs that are going to be coming back are not going to be your old-fashioned blue-collar industrial jobs, the old, you know, classic assembly line types of jobs that in, for industrial production, that what they're going to be is going to be, again, these are going to be smart manufacturing types of jobs. They're going to demand more training. It's going to require a lot more uh, education from the part of we the workers who are involved with it, and that, uh, and also a smaller number because of the role of automation and the role of uh, the role of robotics constantly reducing the number of uh, the number of workers required to carry out any kind of given task. And in fact, I saw study recently that sort of said that in many ways the American industrial sector, even with this reshoring process, is going to look more and more like the agricultural sector. In other words, very high output, 
but from a relatively small workforce and within in a constantly growing uh, drop in price for products, but that comes at the expense of constantly having to lower labor costs. How does that work from the point of view of chemical industry, the jobs that you would see from the, right. this shoring process? So uh, in, our, uh, in our situation, uh, when you build a new chemical manufacturing uh, facility in the United States, uh, you're creating direct jobs at the facility. You're creating indirect jobs uh, along the supply chain and other folks servicing it. And then you create these sort of induced jobs, that they call it, that sort of represent people who are employed thanks to the wages paid to the uh, on-site uh, uh, employees. So I think you, you see a mix of um, skill levels among those three categories. Uh, $105 billion in new output from that $164 billion investment total could, uh, according to our economists, produce over 700,000 new jobs, uh, uh, 69,000 or so on-site, uh, and the rest uh, support, supporting the uh, the new facilities and and then the the, the induced labor. But uh, our 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 workers are fairly skilled. They're very well compensated. They're hundred thousand dollar a year type of jobs, uh, and um, uh, they um, uh, they also uh, you know every job at a chemical plant. Uh, uh, creates five or six spin-off jobs in the economy. So uh, I, think, I think you get um, a range of uh, uh, effects from, from these new investments. Yeah, if, instead of simply focusing solely on people working in the industrial process, you have to look at what they, if it's like the support network and support businesses that grow up around it. Yeah, I mean, these are mini industries, right? I mean, uh, a, a $5 billion cracker and uh, uh, petrochemical intermediate facility, which is, you know, one of the types of projects that are being built, uh, has a, a huge uh, local economic impact that um, is, um, you know, hard to replicate in any industry. Questions from the floor? Here to the front, and then we'll go over here to the side. Let's start with him. We'll, we'll bounce back to you. Hi, Owen. Thank you. Uh, Dave Ramaswamy with Africa Agribusiness Magazine. My question concerns the next generation of chemistry or green chemistry. One of the problems with the oil-derived you know, solvents, hydrocarbons, plastics, is the persistence in the environment and the uh, deleterious health effects it has had. You know, plastics probably, like di diapers, styrofoam, exist more time in the environment than, you know, radioactive uranium. So what's the vision of the American Chemistry Council for the next hundred years on using this opportunity to reshore manufacturing to produce, you know, products cradle to cradle, which, which, which have minimal to no environmental impacts. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, our industry has a, a pretty strong commitment to sustainable manufacturing, and uh, 
and and the, the 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 products that we make in many cases uh, make the broader economy more sustainable. And I would point to things like insulation and uh, lightweight vehicle parts and a host of other uh, products of chemistry that are uh, helping to make the uh, economy more, much more energy efficient and reducing greenhouse gas emissions uh, in, the, uh, in the process. Uh, part of our sustainability commitment is that we, we do support bio-based uh, you know, research and development into bio-based products. Um, as the um, shale gas boom sort of reconfigures how we make chemicals, there, it is opening up niches for bio-based chemistry to, to supply certain uh, uh, segments of the industry that uh, don't uh, benefit as much from the shale abundance as, as other segments of the industry. So I, mean, I think we're doing more in the, in, the, in the green chemistry space than we ever have before, and I think it'll continue to grow. It's sort of, there's a, there's, there's a complementary effect there. Gentleman in the white shirt. The gentleman in the white shirt behind you. Behind you there. The white shirt. <laughs> Hi, thanks. It's on? Oh, wow. Um, Mark Davidson from Energy Intelligence. Um, it, uh, it, it, it sounds like the all this is foreign investment in um, chemical plants is predicated largely on low natural gas and LNG prices for an extended period. Um, you know, you, there, there is talk that because of the, the price-driven pullback in drilling, you know, there is going to be a balancing of the market, you know, over the next few years and that, you know, prices will go up again. Is there a level where, you know, the chemical industry sees sort of a, you know, a tipping point where, you know, you're hoping, you know, $3 or $4 per, per MCF where investment won't look as attractive anymore? Well, I, I, I would I would say that that you know it's relative, and um, uh, what based on the conversations I have with with uh, managers at, at chemical plants who are making these investment decisions, is that uh, they're seeing a very long term uh, sustained uh, competitive advantage for producing petrochemical uh, products in, in in the United States. Uh, and it gets back to Victoria's graph about the the, uh, the the price advantage of natural gas in the United States versus uh, natural gas elsewhere in the world, and uh, our feedstock advantage in that our feedstocks are based on natural gas uh, production, whether it's methane or or ethane or propane. Uh, they compete in the global economy with uh, products that uh, are based on naphtha feedstocks, which are derived from oil. So as long as uh, someone was pointing up the, uh, uh, so long as that spread between oil and gas is above six to one, uh, the, the uh, ethane, the natural gas-based um, chemistry has an advantage. And that six to one, just to formula, works pretty well, too, doesn't it? Because what you're really saying is is that as long as oil prices are going to be 
about six times more than what you're paying for natural gas. It's, it pays to stick with natural gas as feedstock. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a couple things I would uh, point out. There, you know, there has been a collapse in oil prices, and, uh, uh, but there's also been a downturn in natural gas prices, and there's been a steep decline in ethane prices. So uh, a few years ago, ethane was, was selling in the 90 cents a gallon range. Today, it's like 15 cents. So it has come down as, as fast and as far as oil has on a, on, a, on a comparative basis. So while our competitive advantage in 2014 was ginormous, today it's enormous. <laughs> Owen, I'm Ken Barry with the Foster Report. Um, you had touched in your remarks on some potential clouds on the horizon, just a few. Let me just throw out a, a couple of others that you might want to comment on. Let's suppose that the Clean Power Plan ultimately does get upheld by uh, the court system. And number two is let's suppose there's a Democratic sweep uh, this fall and the carbon tax uh, gets enacted, that kind, or, or speculate on whether it would. Is going back to Senator Allen, Allen's remarks earlier today. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're active in the in the clean power plan uh, uh, debate, and um, to be honest, uh, we're looking at opportunities uh, in the efficiency space in particular. We we are a huge supplier of products that make the uh, economy more energy efficient, and so we would hope that uh, if and when. The Clean Power Plan is uh, 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 promulgated and, and goes into effect that uh, uh, energy efficiency will be a major uh, contributor to the emissions reductions, and um, that's good for chemistry. Uh, as far as a carbon tax, it's a good question. We, uh, uh, our industry, uh, our position is that uh, we can support a price on carbon. Uh, it all depends on how you do it. Um, uh, a carbon tax uh, has, you know, can be done in a way that is revenue neutral and is actually beneficial. You know, can 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 help uh, uh, manufacturing investment, uh, depending on how the the revenue is uh, allocated. Uh, it can also be quite harmful, uh, depending on 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 how you. Uh, allocate the revenue. So, um, you know, we we would we would base any position on a carbon tax on on the on the sort of specific uh, uh, elements of it. It's a it's a it's it's tough to get it right. I haven't seen too many proposals that are, you know, that that are from a business standpoint are make a lot of sense. I mean. And then the, the, the caveat I would add is that if it's a unilateral carbon tax and that other, you know, we, we are a fully globalized industry. Uh, we're the biggest export industry in the country, but we also receive huge levels of imports of, of chemical products. And so it's a very, um, uh, you know, the, the chemistry flows back and forth across uh, borders. So if you're asking one uh, part of the world to uh, pay more for their energy inputs, and others aren't. We probably have a that would probably be problematic, unless there's something similar balancing it out. Can we take one more? Sure. 
Hi, Owen. I'm Kevin Easley with the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, so on the supply side, just, just uh, wanting to know the chemistry industry's point of view with respect to, on the one hand, we're awash in supply. We have a tremendous endowment. The overhang is ginormous, and yet the price declines have led to tremendous bankruptcies uh, in the oil and gas sector. There's been something like 150,000 uh, jobs lost in the uh, uh, labor force in the um, drilling services sector. I know that associated gas from certain shale basins is at risk, maybe as much as 20% of the U.S. Uh, production of gas. So there's, there's a tremendous number of sort of concerning factors I see from afar on the supply side. And I'm just curious, though, as a chemistry expert, understanding the marketplace now and moving forward, uh, does your industry have similar concerns about that distress and what it could mean longer term if we stay in an extended low-price environment? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, destroy the means of production. Uh, you don't want to sort of uh, create financial circumstances in which uh, the, the upstream is, is unable to uh, res re respond to uh, demand signals. So uh, I think that we would uh, you know, want to see a, a, a price environment that can uh, sustain uh, competitive energy markets in the United States uh, specifically. The other thing that, to their credit, I I got to I got to uh, uh, you know applaud the uh, the upstream side because they've been able to ma manage costs like I've never seen. The yeah, the efficiency gains, the productivity gains, the squeeze they put on their uh, on their uh, vendors. Uh, you know, they're uh, you know in the Marcellus. I don't know if Victoria can can gut check me here, but you know something the, the cost of production in the Marcellus has come down like in half in the last few years. And so, you know, what a field that used to cost $6 to break even can now break even at $3 or less. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, it's, it's a very dynamic uh, market. And uh, I think that, you know, you're going to just continue to see them find ways to, to do it better and better and better. And you never know what the next technological innovation can bring about. And one of, the, one of the things that has been surprising, or shouldn't be surprising, one of the things that has been, shall we say, uh, interesting to watch uh, and for reasonable optimism is how the, the persistent price drop has compelled and brought forward from American producers new technological innovations to keep pushing their costs down. Technological innovations which, when the price goes up, are still going to be in place. And are going to make it even, make the profits margins even larger, which is going to encourage more investment and yet more innovation. Uh, I mean, let's face it: the whole revolution we're talking about, the, the shale revolution, the natural gas revolution, has been based on technological innovation, which can give you some interesting surprises. You know, the first major natural gas shale discovery was made in Texas. 20 miles from ExxonMobil's headquarters by George Mitchell's company. ExxonMobil at the time was investing billions of dollars looking for natural gas in Angola. So you never know what's going to come next around the corner. But I think all of our panelists, Owen included, have given us a pretty clear picture 
of what that picture, of what the future and America's natural gas future does look like. And I want to thank him and all of our panelists for what has been a really fascinating and, and really quite engaging uh, series of panels and, and, and conference. Thank you again very much. And thanks to our audience for sticking with us here uh, as, we, as, as we wind things up. Many thanks.